you are Locked On A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Gobble, gobble, A's fans, and welcome to episode 178 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke, and on today's show, we are going over the best left fielders of the Billy Bean era. Earlier this week, we did right and center field. Last week, we did the infield. Next week, we're doing pitchers and designated hitters, so make sure to hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss any of the episodes that we're bringing to you guys. Uh, Also, today's show is brought to you guys by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code locked on that is one word locked on and you will get 20 percent off your next order they have some new flavors coming for the holidays which i will be telling you guys about a little bit later in the show so stay tuned for that one so we got ads check now it's time for social media plugs make sure to follow us on social media at locked on a's on twitter and instagram i am at by jason b on twitter and if you have any questions for us please send those to locked on athletics at gmail.com after each of these episodes that i've been doing for the last couple of weeks i've been posting a twitter poll so make sure to follow us on twitter at Locked on A's. You can vote in our polls and you can uh, help us form the all bean team. That's what we've been doing uh, for the last couple of weeks. We're doing it for a few days next week as well. So uh, we're having some fun here while uh, we're waiting for anybody to sign with any teams. There have been a couple of minor signings, but nobody big. The A's haven't done a whole bunch unless you want to count Pete Cosma as a big signing for the A's, which hopefully it's not, but uh, we'll see. So uh, yeah, uh, that that is it for all that. But now it is time to talk about the best left fielders of the Billy Bean and coming in at number four on the war leaderboard is the 1998 AL Rookie of the Year, Ben Grieve. Grieve was only with the A's for three full seasons, but he still managed to appear in 461 games for Oakland. Uh, I'm laughing because I'm like, oh, that's like a highlight of his career. He played in a decent amount of games in three years. Good for him. Uh, he hit 278 with a 368 on base percentage and accumulating 4.2 wins above replacement. Right below him on the war leaderboard are Matt Joyce with 2.9 wins above replacement and Matt Holiday with 2.8 wins. So in reality, no matter what your recollection of Ben Grieve is, he is a national friggin' hero for putting up enough war so that I didn't have to talk about Matt Holiday today. So thank you to Ben Grieve for that. That is another career highlight for him. Um, I, I posed a question on Twitter uh, as I was writing this episode, and I was like, hey, what are your guys' memories of Ben Grieve? And everybody was like, double plays. Oh my God, so many double plays. And uh, yeah, I had written... I had written that. Uh, Here's what I had already uh, as you guys were responding. I'm pretty sure that everybody's main memory of Ben Grieve will be the double plays. And then in all caps, so many double plays. Uh, So yeah, we're we're all in agreement on that one. In Grieve's last season with the A's in 2000, he hit into a league-leading 32 double plays. The second-place finisher that season was Maglio Ordonez with 28. And just a couple of spots behind Ordonez was White Sox teammate Paul Konerko with 22, and that must have been a very long season for the guys on the south side of Chicago. Uh, I, I could not imagine watching teammates just grinding into that many double plays throughout the course of a whole season. I assume they were bad. I don't remember the White Sox really being good until 2005 when they uh, when they won the World Series. But anyways, uh, getting into some p- more positive memories, I can, and this isn't really a positive memory, it's just something that's not negative. So it's positive. Uh, I can recall the A's broadcast team pointing out Ben's dad, Tom Grieve, as the color guy for the Texas Rangers pretty much every time that they played the Rangers, which is a lot of times a season. 
according to Wikipedia, he is still at it as the Texas Rangers color man, though he is now splitting duties with CJ Nitkowski. So uh, yeah, he's still going. He's been doing it for a long time. I think he's, they, I think it said it was like since 1995. So good job on Ben Grieve and that, uh, that long ass career. Ben Grieve did not have that, but he did provide me with an actual happy memory uh, that relates to him, like an actual thing that he did sort of. Uh, there is no trace of this on the internet, but I'm only sure that it happened because my dad would remind me of it all the time and we would laugh together and it was a lot of fun. So uh, it, it was an A's commercial. I'm guessing that it was 1998 because he was a rookie that season. And the whole commercial, uh, since there's no uh, video evidence of this, I'm going off of memory. But the whole commercial centered around the A's being a young team. And I believe that uh, the A's manager at the time, Art Howe, knocked on the ho uh, hotel room door, which led the camera into the room where Ben Grieve and Stomper were jumping on a bed because you know, he, he's a child. So that was fun. It was a cute commercial. It made me laugh. But uh, double plays and jumping on beds are really my standout memories when it comes to Ben Grieve. Uh, he was traded after the 2000 season to the Tampa Bay Rays in a three-team deal that also included the Royals. Tampa sent Corey Lytle to Oakland, and the Royals sent Johnny Damon and Mark Ellis to Oakland. So uh, the A's made out okay in that deal overall, even though Johnny Damon had one of the worst seasons of his career in his one year with the A's, which was only beat out by his final season in 2012 as a 38-year-old. That's how bad he played in Oakland. So, you know, I, I guess we're talking about Matt Holiday, but not talking about Matt Holiday here. Um, we talked about Mark Ellis last week in the second base pod, so I won't get into him anymore. Uh, he was fantastic. He really made that deal what it was. Uh, but Corey Lytle, he was he was a pretty solid pitcher in his two seasons for the A's. He wasn't great uh, by any means. He was like a 3-7, 3-9 pitcher, but, you know, pretty solid guy in those times. Uh, and he tragically passed away in a plane crash in 2006 at the age of 34. And uh, so I was looking for something about Coralito to say, because uh, some of the younger people might not remember him. I did not know this story, but I thought it was really funny. Uh, I found it in his Saber bio, and they mentioned that uh, Barry Zito was telling a story after he had passed where Lytle would dress up his twin brother in his uniform and then send him out to the bullpen to start warming up as a prank to former A's pitching coach Rick Peterson. And I just think that's funny. You know, anytime you, you do a twin switcheroo, uh, it's a good time, especially if there's nobody hurt. Uh, so yeah, dress up your twin, send him to the bullpen, let him start, you know, throwing underhand or whatever. That's a good time. Corey Lytle uh, seemed like a, like a good guy. Uh, it, there was a bunch of stuff about him being outspoken and stuff uh, on his Saber bio, but uh, I didn't, I skimmed. I was looking for A stuff, so I found that. Anyways, we are moving on to the man that is number three on the war leaderboard, but probably number one or at least number two in many, many hearts, and we are talking about Eric Burns. Burnsy played in 442 games with the A's and hit 270 with a 336 on base percentage and averaged a 109 W WRC plus over his time with the A's. He also tallied 6.2 wins above replacement in his roughly two full seasons with the A's. And then he had years of 10, 19, 90, and 59 games played in the other seasons he was with Oakland. The year that he played 59 games in 20, er, sorry, not 2015, 2005, uh, that was the year that he got traded to Colorado for Joe Kennedy and Jay Witasik. Uh, that's a name that I had forgotten. And a quick Jay Witasik note, he was actually first brought to the A's in 1996 in the Todd Stottlemyre deal with the Cardinals. And a quick Todd Stottlemyre note, he was traded to the uh, by the Cardinals to Texas for the original Fernando Tatis. So uh, that's some fun. But back to Eric Burns. There's not really a lot of reminiscing that we can do here because he's still on MLB Network and we kind of know what he's already up to. So uh, 
uh, I'll just give you guys my two standout memories. Uh, the first one is happy. The second one is demoralizing. So let's go to the first one first. Uh, good news first. He hit for the cycle against the stupid Giants, and just because he was overshadowed talent-wise by Miguel Tejada, Eric Chavez, Jermaine Dye, Rubio Durazo, Scott Hatterberg had that big home run. Uh, it, it seemed like it was a weird guy to hit for the cycle, but I mean, if you take his speed into account, it makes more sense. Yet, and yet, it was Eric Burns, the scrappy fan favorite that hit for that cycle, and that was a lot of fun, and it was against the Giants, which made it a lot more sweet. Uh, sure, cycles don't mean as much to me personally these days, but you know, they're still fun every now and then. And you kind of have to enjoy them when Eric Burns does them uh, because his other memory is not so great. So you have to have something to hold on to when it comes to Eric Burns. Uh, it was the same year, 2003, uh, that he hit for the cycle. The A's were playing the Red Sox in the ALDS. Oakland was up two to nothing in the series and are now in Boston, or they were in Boston. I'm trying to set the scene. Um, and they, they were in Boston needing just one win in their next three games to advance the ALCS to face probably the Yankees at that point. I forget. Uh, game three was a tight one. Ted Lilly was dealing for the A's. Derek Lowe was matching him. It was a, it was an intense game, you know, like these games tend to go. And uh, in the sixth inning, Burns had made it to third with Miguel Tejada up at the plate. Uh, Tejada hit a weak bouncer or a swinging bunt, if you will, according to Joe Morgan. And Burns broke to home on contact. Low, uh, low <laughs> these current Tampa Bay Rays. They're, they're messing with me. Low field the ball, made a crappy throw to Jason Veritek, the catcher, who had just stuck his leg out for Burns to trip over, which Burns did. Uh, Veritek raced back for the ball, which had gone to the backstop. And on his way there, Burns pushed him for some reason while limping around. Uh, and he was just limping around all over the field. Uh, and then Veritek grabbed the ball, tagged Burns, who was going on uh, back to the A's dugout for some reason. The umpire called him out because Burns just never touched the plate. Although it looked like his knee might have, but he was definitely not on the plate. It's not like the Jeremy Giambi no slide. Uh, he, he was out on this one. And uh, Burns just didn't go back to touch the plate, even though he had plenty of time and he wasn't that far away from it. It's not like he had been hobbled. He was just, you know, walking around, not having his head in the game, and he got tagged out, and so uh, that that was one out. And then right after that, on a ball hit through the left side, Miguel Tejada ran into the Red Sox third baseman as he was rounding third, and uh, instead of continuing to run, he just stopped halfway down the line in between third and home, and uh, he was just like, ah, oh, I was obstructed with, I scored, yeah! And so they tagged him out, and you know, uh, you never want to leave these things to New York, because sometimes there's some tomfoolery that goes around. He probably... Should have been called safe because of the interference, but, you know, Boston was in the playoffs, and they hadn't won a World Series in a thousand years, so maybe something weird's gonna happen. You gotta run these plays out, is all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, it it was ridiculous that these two things happened in the same inning of the same game. Um... If these two plays result in runs, which they should have if Burns and Tahad had just kept playing things out, then the A's win that game, which they ended up losing 3-1 to one in 11 innings. So if they score one run uh, and everything plays out the same, they win in nine, and then they get to advance to the ALCS, and uh, everything's different in A's land for the next 15 years. That would have been fun. But uh, anyways, please do not ask me to watch these highlights again. They're very painful. And we're going to talk about some nicer highlights coming up in the second half. And also, it's bat flipping season. So stay locked in with Locked on A's, and I'll be right back.
Today's episode is brought to you guys by Built Bar, and Built Bar has a special Black Friday sale going on for you guys that I'm going to talk about in just one second. But the thing that I really love about Built Bar is just how tasty these bars are. You usually get a protein bar and they're all crunchy. I don't like crunch. Give me a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, and that's why I like Built Bar right here. You throw in that nice texture, you get your protein. They're built for the health-conscious person. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for the keto diet. And they got this Black Friday deal coming up that starts on Thursday evening at 5 p.m. Uh, mountain time, I believe. So it's like 3 o'clock our time. Uh, do not ask me to do math. I don't know what time it is in Utah, but that's where they are. So find out what it is, what time it is in Salt Lake City. Go there and then figure it out. But they have the all-new white chocolate bar while supplies last. It has 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, 5 grams of sugar, and they also have the white chocolate salted caramel, which sounds really, really good. I have not been able to taste these yet, but I'm going to for sure because I love Built Bar and uh, I... I trust their uh, their flavor profiles at this point. They haven't steered me wrong before. So yeah, they got those two flavors and you can get 25% off for Black Friday. Plus, don't forget to use the promo code to get an excellent percent off. That is uh, locked on is the promo code for that one. And then on Cyber Monday, they got another one coming up with two different flavors. They have white chocolate cherry sundae, which who doesn't love cherries and sundaes? Uh, Sundays as like the uh, the ice cream, not the the day of the week. And then also they have a white chocolate coconut deluxe. All of these things, you know, you got your high protein, you got your low sugar. That's what Built Bar does. So go to Built Bar on any of the holidays and uh, check out what they got. And then you also get two free candy cane brownie bars with every item purchased while supplies last. So to recap, all you got to do, go to BuiltBar.com, enter code LOCKEDON. That is one word, LOCKEDON. You get 25% off of all products. If you go on uh, Cyber Monday or Thanksgiving Day for Black Friday, you get a, uh, your choice of one of those special bars that I just mentioned you get a free advent calendar with every purchase you get 12 belt bites 12 months of savings that's there i don't know they're giving you way too much stuff for the price so go to beltbar.com get yourself some belt bars and enter code locked on to save some money while you do it Welcome back to the Locked On Ace Podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, uh, please subscribe wherever you like hearing podcasts. Write a review if you can. Those are very much appreciated because I'm told that they help the podcast somehow. So uh, thank you for doing that if you do that. Uh, otherwise, please... I guess um, uh, we're going to be off for the rest of the week. So if you need some A's talk to get you through Thanksgiving, we have a whole series of the best players at each position that started last week to keep you full on A's content. And then I'll be back next week to talk about the DH and some pitchers along with some current A's talk. So uh, that's what we got on the docket for the next week or so. Go back, listen, enjoy some of these all bean team podcasts. They're a lot of fun. I'm having fun doing them, recalling some memories, doing nostalgia for you guys. It's a good time. But uh, anyways, moving on to Today's podcast, checking in at number two on our war leaderboard is current A's outfielder Mark Canna. He was a Rule 5 pick from the Marlins after the 2014 season, but it was actually the Rockies that drafted him, then traded him to Oakland for Austin House. Thanks, Rockies. Uh, Austin House has not made his major league debut. Anyways, uh, Mark Canna has played in 504 games with the A's in his six years with the club, batting 249 with a 340 on-base percentage and a 116 WRC+. He has totaled eight wins above replacement, just a half a win behind the number one left fielder and his catch against the White Sox in game two of the wildcard round this postseason felt like a turning point for the A's in this series. I mean, they won, so good luck proving me wrong, you guys. Uh, it definitely definitely happened. That was the big turning point in that series. Duh. Sorry about that, you guys. You know, like when you're about to go on vacation and you're like, fuck everything. Uh, that's where I'm at in the podcast right now. I'm like, I get a few days off. Ah! 
fight the fight the audience. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Mark Cannon's also been putting together some really good at-bats for the A's, seeing uh, 4.374 pitches for a plate appearance in 2020. MLB does not have a leaderboard for that stat. I checked, and uh, they said no, uh, although they have it on the player pages. Weird. Uh, so I went and looked at Juan Soto, who is one of the best hitters in the game, and only one of two players with more walks than strikeouts in 2020, and he saw 4.219 pitches for a plate appearance. So Mark Canna was seeing more pitches than one of the most patient hitters in baseball. So you got to figure that Mark is near the top of the leaderboard if there were one and that's important because he makes the pitchers work and that's something that uh you know A's baseball has always been about uh since in, in the Billy Bean era really so uh that's pretty cool also my other Mark Cannon memory is his infamous bat flip on March 30th of 2019 against the Angels. I actually thought it was against the Giants, but it was against the Angels when he declared that it was bat flipping season. I love having guys that show some flair now and again, and Mark Hanna is definitely one of those guys. He's a little bit reserved in how he does it. He's like a little bat flip. Hey, how's it going? But, uh, you know, he he has some fun, and I enjoy watching him play some baseball. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned the possibility of him being moved this winter, so go back, listen to that. I believe that it was on the non-tender and trade candidates pod, uh, so that is in your feed if you want to listen to that one. Uh, and I don't want to cut off Mark Canna at all, but the next guy on our list needs some time, my friends. And coming in at number one on our list of the best left fielders of the Billy Bean era is none other than Yoenna Cespedes. If I hadn't talked about him uh, to this point, you knew that he had to be coming up right here. And uh, he only really spent two and a half seasons with the A's, spanning 365 games. He hit 262 with a 318 on base percentage and a 118 WRC plus while accumulating eight and a half wins above replacement. He finished second in the AL Rookie of the Year voting in 2012 behind some guy named Michael Trout. I I don't know who that is. Uh, and he finished 10th in the AL MVP voting. So uh, that was cool. Good for Yoannis. And honestly, he was probably the reason the that that 2012 team ended up in the playoffs and he let his presence be known from his second game in the big leagues when he homered off of Sean Kelly in Japan and then he followed it up with another home run uh, in his first game at the Coliseum when he went deep off of Jason Vargas and I was in the right field bleachers for that one and I remember watching it fly into left field and it hitting above the first tier of bleachers which is uh, ridiculously far and he really just hit the ground running from day one. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, obviously he was great in the whole entirety of 2012, but uh, there was a game in the ALDS uh, in 2012. I think it was game two. I'm not positive, but uh, it was in the ALDS against Detroit in Detroit where he got on base, stole second, then stole third, and then scored on a wild pitch. And I was thinking, oh man, he's going to be unstoppable in 2013. Uh, it, it didn't really come to fruition. I thought that he was going to really add speed to his game. And I think he stole like 26 games or 26 uh, bases in his time with the A's. So that one didn't really come to fruition, but he did add uh, his throwing arm into the mix, which was a lot of fun. And he made a ton of throws in 2013. Uh, I will link to those in the show notes for you guys, because they are so much fun to watch. But the main one is obviously the one that was in Anaheim, where he was almost on the warning track. He bobbled the ball, uh, threw it from nearly the warning track, and he just blooped it, or not blooped it, and he just uh, threw it to Derek Norris's glove on a line, got the runner going to home, and uh, I don't know how you could place a ball in Derek Norris's glove better than that, let alone throwing it from the friggin' warning track. That throw just still boggles my mind. It, it was a thing of beauty. Really loved watching that. There's a ton of uh, replays in there, so I will uh, I'll, I'll throw that link of all the Cespedes plays during his A's career in the show notes for you guys. Because uh, after watching those 2003 ALDS highlights, uh, it, it made me feel better 
So that was nice. Uh, so uh, feel better too by watching these highlights. Um, and obviously I'm going to say, hey, it was fun watching these highlights. And then I'm going to talk about this thing real quick. Uh, he got traded during the 2014 season, uh, but I don't want to ruin the good times of Thanksgiving and all that stuff. So uh, I will save that one for our uh, Festivus show where I'll be doing the Air of Grievances segment. Um, I, I hadn't actually been planning on doing that, but I think it'd be really funny. So I might actually do that. I'll have to write a note. Um, and, but the thing that I really loved about Yuan Cespedes is that he felt like the first superstar level talent on the A's since Jason Giambi left. And I just, just loved watching him play. Uh, and I don't want to get anybody's hopes up because uh, he's, you know, obviously very beloved in the A's community, but he is a free agent this winter. And he told the uh, San Francisco Chronicle in 2017 that he would like to retire as an Oakland A. So that's maybe something that we could, I mean, pipe dream probably but um and also i don't know how he's going to fit on the roster he missed all of 2019 due to injury and only played in eight games this season and hasn't played anything close to a full season since he appeared in 132 games for the mets in 2016 so he's probably a dh and the a's already have chris davis at dh so i don't know where he's going to be fitting unless you're going to have two guys that can't really play the field at all just on the roster on the bench and whatnot so basically, unless the A's trade Chris Davis, I don't see Cespedes coming to the A's this offseason. Um, but anyways, uh, I, I said it just a second ago, but Ioana Cespedes may be the biggest fan favorite that we'll go over in this entire series of the Billy Bean era at large. So if you've got a favorite player of the Billy Bean era, tweet us at Locked on A's and let us know who it is. Uh, we'll run a poll to figure out who the fan favorite is. Uh, I sent out a tweet uh, after midnight, so I'm sure that nobody saw it yet, uh, asking everybody who their favorite player of the Billy Bean era is. Uh, I have not had to talk about them. It could be some random person. It could be like Jose Guillen if you want to. I don't care. Um, George Kataris. I don't know. But just tweet in your answers and uh, we'll, we'll run a poll of the guys that we hear about the most and uh, we'll find out who... A's fans have liked the most. I'm assuming that it's Cespedes, but uh, it could be Giambi, not Jeremy, but Jason, um, or Eric Chavez. It could be Mark Ellis. Mark Ellis is probably going to be uh, getting some votes too. So I feel like if you pick four people, there's going to be uh, some tension there between A's fans and be like, no, this guy was obviously the best because of this thing. So uh, yeah, let us know at Lockdown A's who your favorite A's player was of the Billy Bean era. And then we'll do something with all that information uh, in the coming weeks. So uh, that is going to be it for me today and for this week, everybody. Have a very happy Thanksgiving and make sure that you tell the people that you're thankful for, that you appreciate them. Uh, so until next time, stay indoors, celebrate good times, Oakland. Do not fill up on bread and I will talk with you guys next week.